Hello, Hive Nation. Welcome back to the Hive Nation podcast. Each week, we bring leading experts in personal and professional development to share their journeys and expertise to help you connect, engage, grow, and evolve. Now, here's JB to introduce today's guest. Hey, hey thanks, Greg. Today, we have a fascinating guest uh, again. Um, retired Sergeant Major Sev Lavoie is our is our guest today, and uh, he's coming us coming to us from Coquitlam, BC. And uh, Seb is a very interesting uh, gentleman. He is a very sought-after, high-performance coach now and uh, specializes in helping professionals maximize their potential individually and in group settings. But uh, we were talking off-camera about it a bit, and uh, uh, very much so, uh, Greg and I's, our mindset around performance coaching very much comes from what Seb was talking about, so I can't wait for him to talk to you about that, but He's very much dedicated to uh, guiding his clients towards achieving their goals, reaching their new levels of excellence. And, you know, as as having Seb on for us today, I'll, I'll speak for myself first. For myself today, you know, just the the 15 or 20 minute conversation that we had to had to have here before we went live here uh you know, impacted me already. So, uh, you know, whenever somebody can do that for me, uh, um, that really shows a lot, Seb. So thank you very much for that, first of all. And, uh, but thank you very much for being on uh, the Hive Nation podcast as well. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, so first of all, I'd love to start with uh, your, your business is called Raven Strategic. And uh, Raven Strategic is based upon high-performance coaching. Why don't you tell our listeners what, A, what in your terms, what high-performance coaching is and, uh, you know, how you uh, go about and do that. Yeah. So uh, Raven Strategic for uh, performance coaching primarily just, it's everything about treating the individual. So we're not worried so much about trying to control external factors and how external factors are affecting somebody's leadership or somebody's excellence, we're looking at the person themselves and how we can optimize their ability to be the best that they can be so that they may negotiate the, the external factors better. And so I think that there is a lot to be said about being introspective as a leader. And I think we're falling short of it in, in most cases, but also it's difficult. It's difficult to do it. It's difficult if we're not detached from it. It's difficult if it creates some sort of emotional turmoil and how to navigate those and take the right steps in increments so that we can accomplish the goal, which is to be a lot better at what we do. So what I like to do is take a human being that thinks that the world is against them or, or that, you know, external factors are heavily influencing how they do business and, and, and why it's not working the way they want and to teach them that let's bring all this back to the things that we have control over, which is you and everything else will get better. And so the, you know, the program per se, if somebody's engaged in the program, which is a, a mandatory piece, a mandatory part of the program, there is accountability and all kinds of things that are tied into this. If the person is engaged in the process a year from now, six months from now, that person is a different human being. So how long does a high performance coaching, you know, clinic take typically last? Well, it depends. It depends what we are doing and it depends what the end state is, what the end goal is, what the mission statement is. Yeah. So if we're, to, if we're, you know, some of our clients are staying with us and they need their, their periodical touch-ups, you know, so they want to have that contact with us and bounce some stuff off when things kind of percolate, whether in a professional settings or otherwise, 
sometimes and, and a lot in the private settings as well because we're developing sort of a, a, a symbiotic slash synergical synergetical relationship with our clients uh, to make sure that we are pulling in the same direction and uh and so you know for for us it's all about addressing the individual themselves and so if they have shied away from doing that if they know that they're getting away with you know murder as far as not addressing some of their shortcomings and and well if they and if they don't know they will find out right, right. but as daunting as this may sound it's actually done in a way that's very conducive for them to be excited about that prospect it's not like i'm going to put a mirror right in front of you and we're going to expose everything and then you know because that's not comforting and that's not the way this should work it has to be done in incremental steps very cool. I understand that. So, okay. So if you do break that down into say, let's say segments, we'll call them segments. <clears throat> do you, uh, do you add other more segments to it as your, as your progression happens? It depends it, again, it, because every single program that we run for our executive clients, especially are custom made. Like none of those programs are recycled. Yes. The information within the programs obviously is, 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 is reused. But the program themselves will be specifically designed for whatever the need of that individual might be. So this could be anything from helping them having, you know, uh, help them stop the job from defining them, for example. It could be it could be for them to have wellness mechanisms in place on account of, you know, corporate stress or if they're in a field where there's potential for occupational stress injuries or those types of things, then we may have other uh, mechanisms and, and to teach them that are preemptive instead of being reactive. Right. So we're, we're, we're making them better in advance rather than waiting for something to happen and try to play catch up. And it. so if somebody needed physical fitness, for example, that's also something that we can do. And so we don't, obviously we're, it's all zoom. So we're not, you know, going to your gym, doing certain things, unless you're in the executive package at which points we're going to travel to you and have some of those days during the year. But, um, and this company, this program is led by Sean Taylor and I, by the way, we're a team, we're, we're together on that. And, um, and yeah, so if somebody, for example, had, you know, their, their lives is completely lined up the way it should, they're, they're, they're content from a professional standpoint, the personal life is good to go. They're, you know, they're, they're financially free, but they can get themselves in the gym or they can't, you know, there's a few things that are interfering with their ability to be complete as an individual and, and having the priorities sometimes flipped upside down. So we bring the priorities back online and then we work with what are some of the shortcomings that you've been putting off for so long? And let's add a bit of accountability on that and let's get you be the solution. Speaking of Sean on his Instagram live the other day, he kept uh, saying that you always try and one up him. Is this true? <laughs> we always try. We always try to one up each other. <laughs> and that's what having the right men in your circle is all yeah. about. <laughs> JB and me, we never do that to each other. <laughs> do I look taller than him right now? <laughs> are you sitting in a phone book over there or what? <laughs> I didn't see this. this guy's got a cheat code. He's 6'4". So he can't grow a beard. So now you have a stash. I see what you're doing there. <laughs> hey, it's all about the little things. Uh, there's, a joke, there's a joke in there somewhere. That's what she said. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um no but really she did say that 
No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. And that's on keeping it light always, no matter what, if we're talking performance or mindset. And uh, that's actually one thing I want to touch on is the mindset of it. It's something we talked about off camera and uh, we talked with Sean about as well. Um, is that why you guys focus on mindset versus, you know, giving people tan like certain skills? Because I think too often in the coaching world um, and the, especially the performance world, it's, you got to do these five things, forget about everything else, throw out everything you've learned because that was garbage. Like there's all this, it's just replacement therapy, which I don't think works very well. So yeah, touch on mindset and like how important that is to you guys as a, as a team and, and as coaches. Mm -hmm. Well, your mindset drives your receptors, right? How receptive you are to receiving information and how you process the information and, and the lens that you view the information through it can be completely different. So you can, you, you and I can talk, we can be teaching a course right now and we can have a hundred people and there will be a hundred version of what that course was all about. And this is, this is considering that people look at, look at the course through a different lens. And so the idea is to bring less of a, who owes me what kind of an attitude and really retake control over that and really say, okay, how much of these external factors are bear on the outcome here and how much of this is self created and how much of this can I overcome so that I become the person I need to be so that I can enact the things that I need to do so I can, you know, achieve the things that I set my, the, the, the goals that I set or lofty goals, ideally that I set myself, um, you know, over, over an extended period of time. And it's fascinating how difficult that is. It's fascinating how difficult it is when you are the person that's inside the body, that's lived with this person for 45, 50, 60 years sometimes, and 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 a, and a reach or achieve some measure of success. So now it becomes your, your fallback. It's like, well, you know, I am where I am on account of the things that I did, and I will give you that. You are correct. You have achieved a certain level of success. So there's a lot of good things there. But what is creating issues that prevent you from being just a little bit better or to be just a little bit smarter or to be just a little bit faster or to be just, you know, and, and, and this in business, as you know, or in sport for that matter, all you need is 0 0.00001 of a second faster to win. Right. And so uh, when it comes to a teaching executive, if I take a bunch of newbies that are coming in, have never been exposed to any of this, everything you say is mind blowing them, right? Like, cause they, there's no exposure. There's no knowledge uh, about a lot of the concepts that we discuss. But when we start dealing with executive clients, oftentimes they're very squared away in a lot of those areas where they really understand. So I won't be spending a great deal of time in a spot where the person has aced a certain thing, but I will find where they need the work and impose it upon them but for them to be in a part, in, you know, a part of the process. And then we're going to start elevating those other areas. The way I like to visually see it is, you know, have you ever played punch out or any of those Nintendo games back in the days oh, yeah. where, where one of the characters has like, you know, firepower is up here and then, but intelligence is down here and, 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 and athleticism is down here. And so it's exactly the same. How do we take all of those things in a 360 degree non-sanitized version of you and bring everything up to the same level? And, and it's almost 
it's almost inevitable that there are areas of your of your life or areas that are that are impeding on other areas of your life on account of things that you are not or refuse to look at or just simply don't have a roadmap on how to make it better this is where we come in and that's where you have to cut some of that stuff out even it comes down not necessarily even change it just cut it right out Oh, 100%. Uh, yeah, we see it all the time with people with the wrong relationships or with people with surrounded by the wrong people or and, yeah. and, and, and some people, you know, it's very, very difficult for them to realize that all these people that are naysayers in their surroundings are not being realistic. What they are being is threatened by your progress or your success on account of their own insecurities that they haven't dealt with. And now you're, 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 you're essentially stifling your own progress on account of people that would never celebrate your success anyways. It wouldn't matter. So is there a reciprocity in that relationship or is that relationship needing to be cut? Or can that person learn, you know, if they have the right mindset, maybe we can have the, the right strategic conversation to bring that person on board, especially if that person's a spouse, because it's, you know, it can get messy quickly. The, the more you hear you can't or you tell yourself, I can't, guess what? You can't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you have any tips for the listeners on, um, you know, helping people maybe let down that veil of, well, this is the way I've always done it. You know, the people that are very set in their ways and, you know, there's always that line of a person needs to be willing to be coached first and foremost. So let's assume that that person is willing to be coached, but they still have that veil of like, I don't know, that's not something I've done before. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if somebody is act actively looking for a coach, they will generally have a different attitude. But I've still seen people that are actively looking for a coach, but they want that coach to bring to bear the information that they have a cognitive bias on. So they what they are trying to do is to find the information that validates their way of thinking. Yeah. So I'm going to get a coach so that I can validate that I'm doing everything right. And when that coach tells me, <laughs> when that coach tells me that I'm not, I will simply either disregard it or not act upon it or whatever the case may be. And so you are correct. Somebody in order, it's and this is like having somebody in your family, for example, that has a drug problem. You know, like you can only help if they want to get help. We all, we've been there and it's extremely difficult for those watching and uh, the train wreck. But also, you know, we need to realize that if the person doesn't want to get help, it's going to be very difficult. Now, if the person is engaging fully in it and embracing the uncomfortableness of it, the rate of speed at which you can be a different human is mind-blowing, to say the least. I mean, I've seen some incredible changes to the point where some employees would be contacting me saying, man, I don't know what you did to the boss, but he is a different dude, you know? <laughs> And uh, and things are so much better. Productivity is 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 increased substantially. All of those things. And so, if you have a fixed mindset, it's to understand that your fixed mindset is you being in your own way. There is no way about it. There is no other way about it. That's all that that's going to bring you. But it brings a lot of other things. It brings you being threatened by people that are successful around you because they're pushing the envelope or or pursuing lofty goals. You know, it could be it could be that it it prevents you from learning its skills. It prevents you from having the ability to recognize that adversity can lead to growth if you take it as such. But if you have a fixed mindset, you see everything as fatal. You know, something happens. It's all oh, this happens again, and it's you know. So you can really find yourself in your own way to a point where 
you are essentially responsible for your your failing at optimizing your performance or realizing the goals that you had set for yourself. I like to call that the woe is me factor. Yeah, precisely. Agreed. And you know, you see it all the time. The people just boohoo about their about themselves without ever wanting to get past it, right? It just you know, let that drag on and draw and use it as a as a anchor to mm -hmm. keep drawing you back. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's easier. It's the evil, you know, versus the evil you don't know. And that's why a lot of the, you know, even people that can suffer from occupational stress injuries, those types of things, even ADHD, to a certain extent, you'll hear people say, well, that's my ADHD. Boom, I have a stamp now I can, I can, you know, I can live up to that stamp for the rest of my life, whereas or moniker. Uh, whereas we can we can really realize like look Robin Williams or you know so and so were also this but they were amazing creators I mean Robin Williams is not the greatest example because obviously you know he he was hurting but um, but it, it's just it's just a realization that you can be so much more than you are regardless of how good you are you know uh, and, and, and I saw on the Canadian podcast the other day was uh Terry Fox mm -hmm. Terry Fox never uh never made an excuse because he had one leg to, to run across Canada you know what I mean he mm -hmm. never used that as a as a crutch mm -hmm. and he still did it oh yeah I mean the victim mentality is prevalent nowadays everybody's a victim of something and they really don't have to do anything because the external world somehow holds them something without them having to put in the work and uh, as soon as you this is kind of like being in a passenger seat of a of a bus and there's no driver so you you're at the mercy of whoever decides to do anything to you and i don't like that that's unnerving yeah. what i want is to have some level of control and yes there is a ton of stuff we don't control but there is a ton of stuff that we have control over it's called our direct sphere of influence and and one of those things is is how we address the external factors and it goes way deeper than that because during my research projects and and um i work with uh, Gino Colora who's a uh, behavioral therapist but at the phd level very very deep into neuroscience those types of things so we bring the psychological piece we bring the neuroscientific piece we bring like we mesh all of those things it's not just a, a, a sort of a, a singular you know singular approach to 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 a certain dilemma so depending what the person is struggling with we may be tapping in all kinds of different subsystems to try to help them align the priorities reset their reward uh, needs or anticipatory reward needs even or you know whatever the case may be i mean the prefrontal cortex is an amazing machine that can really take the things that we fear and we can reframe them so that we're able to advance because we know that anything meaningful is scary mm. that very much sounds like dr joe dispenza <laughs> breaking the habit of being yourself you know that book that yeah. very much he talks about the prefrontal lobe yeah. uh, uh lobe and and how to how to change that and how to you know basically for all intents purposes get past it and you know instead of you know having it having uh, it used as a struggle within to actually let it out and then you know you basically just are are like um, free yeah, you're mind free absolutely it is so liberating and some of the some of the other things that we you know i've dealt with with some clients is the fear of death for example and i made peace with that a long time ago so i am a great resource to help out with that because i had some very very specific strategies on how i dealt with that you know which which is an innate fear which is a fear that almost everybody shares yeah um, arguably some don't <laughs> but uh but but you know so all of those things like so imagine if somebody had a uh, 
I like to say that every fear that we have is a downgraded version of the fear of death. Really, if you if you go at it from a forensic bio, biological standpoint, that's exactly what it is because we're wired for survival. So a lot of the fear and a lot of the insecurities attached to certain items in people's lives are a direct result of their, you know, catastrophic fear of death. And so imagine if you're if you're a coach right now and you're like, okay, I'm going to coach leadership. So we're going to go, you know, I have the leadership book here. I have the, you know, it's written here. This is how we do things or whatever. And then you, you, you get with a client who unbeknownst to them as a phobia level fear of death. Good luck. Yeah. Because all the things that you're asking to tie into, which is the risk-taking abilities is, is immediately affected by their inherent fear of death. And so it, this could be something that I work on with one of my clients. Like they, yeah, there's a million coaches out there that can teach you leadership, but finding exactly where the problem is and addressing is a different animal. I, I love hearing those stories from those people who did survive death mm -hmm. and then how their concept of death after that has changed. And if you can, if you can do that while you're still living, man, you, like you got the, you got the, the world by the tail, you know? It's a superpower. Not not being fearful of death is a superpower. I it was one of the most liberating things that ever happened to me, and it didn't happen by accident. It was work. But can I tell you? Can, maybe you can. Maybe you can. Uh, you can play doctor here with me for a quick time. <laughs> can I tell you about this this recurring dream that I had? No. So I I had this recurring dream that I was on a plane and I survived the plane crash, and I, I was the only person though out of the whole crew or uh, the whole passengers who survived it i was the only mm -hmm. person okay and i've had the same dream multiple times okay so am i like superman <laughs> well i'm not a psychologist let's call a spade a spade here <laughs> but well, we're um, gonna go there seb i'll tell you we we gotta we gotta pour drinks we gotta we gotta we gotta get the sleeping bags out and we, i mean we we got we, we got more than what we bargained for here but you know what's really interesting with dreams is is dreams are not are not interpreted in the way that we interpret them very often, you know, because most of the situations that we that we encounter in dreams are metaphorical circumstances. So if they create a certain feeling or whatever, the plane might have nothing to do with it. But you being in a situation where you're at the mercy of somebody else driving the bus and all of a sudden something happens, but you have built enough self-confidence and, and sense of self-worth to understand that you are still good to go. This could be a, a symptomology. Your dream could be a direct reflection of your metaphorical mindset in relation to the plane peace, right? And so I think what people try to do is they will say, okay, I was in a plane. Okay. Am I traveling anywhere? Like it doesn't work like that, right? No. Like it, it, that's not how it works, but the subconscious mind is a very powerful machine. And the problem is, is we spend a lot of time not listening to it or being unaware that it's affecting us and humans are 90% emotions, mm -hmm. you know? So our subconscious mind is affecting us a lot. And a lot of our decisions are based upon things that we don't consciously decide. They just, they just happen. And so it's important to have the ability to understand that in dreams, oftentimes the it's, it's a way to off gas some of the things that we never give consideration to. So what I've, what I took out of it was that I'm basically bulletproof. <laughs> that's yeah, that's, that's, that's what most, uh, uncoachable client get. They <laughs> <laughs> never get that. <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm the other, or I get deeper side of that, Seb. 
I think a lot of people struggle with uh, people. I mean, a lot of coaches struggle with um, individuals that maybe can't take fear or that, that scaredness and flip it into motivation. You know, it's easy when a, when a client or a student can go, Hey, your biggest fear is fighting a left-handed player to train more. And then it's all of a sudden going to be easy. And you can see it one day. They look at you and go, oh, it was that easy. But how do you work with the people that like that will never be something that they can do that they'll always have that fear. How do you navigate around that? Mm -hmm. Well, if they will always have a certain measure of it, then it's the mitigation of it is what we're after and mitigation of it. Imagine if I say, remove 20% of the things you're struggling with, how much better are you all of a sudden exponentially, exponentially better, because a lot of those things, especially depending what they are, they may have some really deep rooted issues that can be catastrophic, you know? And, uh, and, and I think, again, I prefer to look at it this way. If that person truly, truly does not or doesn't have the ability to address certain things on account of they just don't want it or they're they're too afraid or whatever the case may be it becomes my job to figure out a way to make that happen not theirs yeah. because again in the same in the same token or in the same uh, sort of pulling in the same direction of what we're already talking about as a leader of the program, now it's my job to do the introspection. How do I change me to be able to communicate effectively with this person? What are the, some of the obstacles that are in my way right now? And why can I connect? And at the end of the day, you may look back and say, look, like we just don't have a connection on account of X, Y, and Z. And maybe Sean Taylor does, or maybe somebody else that I can recommend does. Yeah. And so for me, I don't spend, I wouldn't spend like a great deal of time if there is a ton of resistance. And I know Sean Taylor would spend no time if there's resistance because for him, it's all about if you are good to go and you're ready to be coach, I'm all over it, but you got work in front of you and it's starting now. And so I'm a little bit on the softer side. Uh, Sean is, is, is a bit harder than me, but that's precisely why it makes us such a dream team because we're complementing or complementary to each other and we can really kind of problem solve things. So for me to answer your question, you know, succinctly, which I failed miserably at, is 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 how can I figure out a way to make this work? Mm. It's not on the person that's not receptive. It's my job to figure it out. Otherwise, I'm just downloading the responsibility and shirking responsibility. And I'll, I can look at myself in the mirror. I say, well, I'm a great coach, but I, this guy just can't be coach. And now I became the victim. So one of the one of the key pieces of this whole operation is to live the life that I preach to these people, right? So I can't be doing the things that I'm trying to prevent them from doing and, and, and ask them to listen to the words that I say in line with what I want them to do. This is no different than parenting. You can tell the kids whatever you want, but they are watching you. And if you're not doing it the way that you are telling them, they are not listening. So Seb, in that, in that instance that you just mentioned there about people who you know you you don't necessarily get along with maybe or that you who they don't like your coaching style maybe is there a way to to just turn that around on them and basically have the ability to say okay uh in my experience this is what happened to me and these are the people who i've gone through 
what you and I are experiencing right now is very similar. So how do we get past that as a team? You know, is there a way of doing that? Like that without calling the guy a complete prick? Oh, absolutely. I mean, strategic communication and, and genuine communication and connection is, is our job, is our job as human beings. And unfortunately, the emphasis on having the ability to do that has been grossly diminished by, you know, social media, by the phones, the texting, you know, people not talking to each other anymore. But uh, I, I, I believe that if somebody has the right strategic communication capabilities, which at Raven, we teach strategic communication. So we're, it's something that I've always been very, very well versed in. And so is Sean Taylor, we will, we will figure out a way to have that conversation be productive. We're all about moving the needle forward. I don't like to spin in circles. I don't like to waste time because time is our biggest currency. You know, everybody looks at time like, well, you know, I probably got time. I'm going to take an hour here. I'm going to take an hour there. Well, because you take an hour on Netflix instead of working on something that truly could be beneficial to your life. And maybe you needed the off gas, or maybe you just needed a reason not to do the things you should be doing. And at the end of the day, if I take this hour and I tack it to the end of your life, when you're with your daughter or with your wife, and you are now, you know, on your deathbed, and I said to you, I'm going to extend your your conversation with that loved one for an hour. How much would that hour be worth? And the answer is invaluable. Yeah. Right. And so we don't have any time to waste. We don't have any time to waste. It's actionable items after actionable items. And it is at a different level. A lot of the influencers online and, you know, not to throw anybody under the bus, but like when you're calling somebody like me three times a week to get to get spoken off the ledge and then you go out and coach other people i have a i have a serious problem with that and i know sean taylor does too so i think it's important for people to understand there's levels to this game and you just yeah. need to have the conversation to find out great answer yeah and you know i'll give a bit of a shout out to the collective because they were talking about communication today and that's something i've found out um especially with uh coaching judo more um Every single person, you know, whether it's sport or performance or sales or whatever you're coaching, like you said, takes in that information differently. A hundred people are going to view what we're talking about a hundred different ways. And a lot of the times, you know, it's such a cliche saying, but actions speak louder than words. Yeah, great. I'm not going to say it because you'd kill me, but. <laughs> Deeds, uh, not words. <laughs> yeah. So we there was an instance last week where that just happened. I showed something and it clicked with two people that, you know, no matter how we explained a scenario, how we showed it, nothing was clicking, but then we just, we weren't even saying, Hey, watch, we were just doing it. And then all of a sudden we looked over and they go, well, that was easy. <laughs> right. 100%. So a lot of the times just lead by example and, you know, people are watching when, when uh, you don't think they are. So having that is sometimes the most powerful coaching communication I think we can give. For sure. And I would say another, another tool that's highly underrated is listening. You know, so I had a client uh, recently, he, every time we spoke, so his deal was very successful business-wise, everything seems squared away. The family life is good you know, just a solid dude. And uh, one of the things he was str struggling with was getting up in the morning to go train. And he's a, a early person. So he's an early riser, and it has been for years on account of, you know, being a little obsessive and getting to where he is in, in the world. And he is doing really well. But also, he, he historically has worked out. 
so now he's trying to mesh the two. He's trying to get up in the morning and work out. But somehow he's resisting himself on that and he's in his own way. So as we were having the conversations as to why he was finding reason to, reasons not to work out or whatever, he kept on repeating, you know, when you wake up in the morning and it's all cold and he kept on repeating this. And had I not been listening, I wouldn't have caught on to that, but I did. And I said to him, hey, wait a minute, you're single. He says, yeah. I'm like, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take your workout gear. You're going to put him under your blanket. And when you wake up in the morning, you are not coming out of that bed. Just go ahead and change under the blankets, under the covers, put your warm clothes out and see what that does. Never had a problem again. So now we're looking at a very, very difficult, uh, seemingly difficult issue, which is you don't have the motivation. You don't have the self-discipline to go out and work out when really the problem was he just doesn't like to be cold in the morning. How yeah. simple is that? Yeah. But what you need as a coach to be able to pick that up is you need to listen. You need to listen. And, and this is something, if I'm too too enthralled with my own plan or if I'm too in love with my own plan and I want to pass on some information right now and I have I have my sheet and I have my information on here and I want, I want to, you know, knowledge transfer this to you in a timely fashion, I may disregard the things that are intuitive mm -hmm. that are going to come on organically. And so very, very important to have the right person in front of you that has the ability to recognize that. Kim Grover just talked about that the other day. Yeah, about listening first, first thought and foremost, listening before, you know, flapping your mouth off. And, you know, if you just stopped and listened to yourself for a second before you open your mouth too, you know, aside from listening to you, Seb, if I listened to myself before I opened my mouth, I would probably be way ahead. We all would be. It's, it's, and, and one of the, one of the sort of, uh, I guess a context in which it's really helped for me is always fact finding before dishing punishment or anything in that line. Right. So, and when I say punishment, I don't mean like punishment, punishment, no, yeah. but say, say the rumor is that somebody that did X, Y, and Z, well, hold on here. Let's fact find all of this before we, because that's what happens. And in the corporate world, this happens a lot. You know, I had a, one of my clients has taken private leadership courses with me. And he came came home one day infuriated with one of his workers for saying X, Y, and Z. And he had already started designing the plan by which he was going to address that. And I'm like, did you talk to him? Do you know what he actually said? Does Did anybody else attest to this? Or, you know, was there, is there something in their personal life that's impacting their ability? Is there some frustrations there that are not being voiced on account of they, they don't feel like they are valued or they have a voice? Or what is the what is the problem and why is this situation now you're being very emotionally reactive to something very very strange and out of place and out of character for that person which leads me to believe that there is more to this story and you need to find out before you you know you make a rash decision and he was like yes you're probably right you know like and it and i think we're seeing it more and more and i don't know if it's gotten worse or if i just if i just notice it more you know musashi said when you see the way you see it the way broadly um I just see it more. It seems as though humans are way more emotionally reactive than we ever were as a generation. And uh, and you're seeing it, it permeates all kinds of fields. You're seeing it on the road. You're seeing it in, 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 in the courtroom. You're seeing it at the movie theater. It's like everybody's on edge and everybody's willing to explode and, and, and be that hand grenade, so to speak. There's two sides. There's two sides to every story, right? Of course, there is. So you, your story, you know, to, uh, of your executive, you know, what you said to him was exactly 
what he didn't think of was mm -hmm. the other side of yeah. the story. Yeah, and I would go a step further and say and and um, and say that there generally is two sides to a story, and the truth is somewhere in the middle. So really, there's three there's there's sort of three offshoots of the same story. But if you agree and if you acknowledge that most people react emotionally disproportionately to what it is that's occurring in front of you, even the person that's spoken to you reacted differently. You know, so so now there's a there's a there's a there's a degree of magnif magnification that's occurring, and now you get it, and there's an, an an added degree of magnification because now perhaps you have some responsibility or some ownership on account of that person is working for you or working for one of your employees or whatever the case may be. But you know, once it's once it went through sort of telephone line and it, and it's been through three or four different people that injected their own emotions in it. What are you getting at the end when you hear it? Yeah. And shout out to Zach on the Canadian podcast, because he said this and it's stuck with me ever since he said it. If it smells, it sells. That just seems to be the world we live in these days. And people, and people, there are people, unfortunately, and I wish I could change every one of these people, that's just not possible, that want to be that hand grenade. Mm -hmm. And and that need to meet, have that knee-jerk reaction. Like a few, uh, about a month ago, I got a text from an individual and it, it was about a something that came up and it was, uh, I was involved in it and I went, okay, um, well, none of this is true. Uh, do you have time for a phone call? And they went, okay. Cause I didn't want to play the texting telephone game. I said, hi, how are you doing? Here's the three facts that I know. And they immediately went, oh, well, none of that's true then, because that can't be. And I said, mm -hmm. yeah, you just needed to take a breath and like think about the facts. Mm -hmm. so I appreciate you reaching out. And that's all it took. And then pff, gone. It was never an issue again. Never got brought up again. But people aren't willing to even do that. Um, you know, Christian Bale also has this great quote, you know, if you have a problem with me, call me. And if you don't have my number, you don't know me well enough <laughs> for me to care. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and Christian Bale is not foreign to emotional outbursts. <laughs> <It's not. laughs> um, you, you know, it's it's yeah, it's. I think we live in a in a weird world. Conflict and interpersonal human aggression is one of the biggest phobia in the world. And I mean, Dave Grossman wrote extensively about that in his multiple research projects, which includes a book on combat and on killing, and uh, and and. And I think now what we are seeing is we're seeing an extrapolation of this, which is because we are at a time where people do not communicate directly in person. So conflict resoluting, as we would say, growing up in our families, is not always the case now. And so what it's done is it prevented people to have the ability to embrace conflict and to do it in a poise, stoic kind of fashion. And so now the only way to bridge the, the this insecurity gap is to come out with all guns blazing because i'm so afraid of being hurt that i'm going to come out with all the artillery you know but the problem is is the artillery wasn't needed here mm -hmm. and and this was an overreaction and so having the ability to stoically assess and and get and we can acknowledge emotions there's nothing wrong with that i acknowledge that this makes me mad right now but there ought to be more to this story i need to find out before i lose my mind we all work off emotion, right? That's that's just the name of the game. So it's the manage it's the managing of it that's very different exactly. from individuals to individuals. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, Seb, honestly, we could probably talk to you all, all afternoon because I mean, like, <laughs> it's 
it's been over an hour already. I'm sure you have better things to do than to talk to two hillbillies from Saskatchewan. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I love what you guys are doing, and uh, it's it's I, you know I got I got time, so it's up uh, to you. We really appreciate it. Uh, no, well, we would love to have you back on. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we'll, we'll obviously you know let you go on with your day, but uh, and this was just an amazing conversation. Like I could I could literally talk about this stuff all day. Like I just mm -hmm. I can't get enough of, of talking about this. And really, you know, maybe one day I should take your course. <laughs> sure why yeah. not uh seb before we let you go where can the hive nation find you uh on the webs and anywhere else yeah so my website is finally up uh it's it's taken it's taken a while because i it, there was so much word to mouth that i didn't really have to worry about it but uh raven strategic strategic spelt with a k is uh is my website dot uh, com so ravenstrategic.com i believe uh, and then uh my personal instagram my S L A V C C M D R. So my Slav Cobar Commander is is also very good way to reach me. And I get lots of business inquiries on my personal Instagram, and that's fine. I spend way too much time on it, but if it's uh, if it's business related and it can be addressed, it, it, it will be. But yeah, my website has all the contact information and everything everything you can possibly need. Very very cool. Well, Seb, thanks again for. Uh for taking this time and being with the Hive Nation podcast today. I, I, I personally uh, really, really enjoyed this. Yeah. Amazing. It was a great convo, guys. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, Seb. Hive Nation, we're out. <laughs>